before we were about to organize street cleans that there was 17 different groups in the last two weeks in Antrim doing street cleanups. So a whole bunch of other people got before us. So it was really funny, 10 years ago when we first did this, nobody was doing it. In fact, the council wouldn't even go into Greystone Estate because the kids were throwing stones at them, so they couldn't even cut the grass. And you remember that? And, uh, and we went in and we kind of sorted some stuff out. And, and, we, and, and now there's something happening. You know, there was, I think there was nine holiday Bible clubs happening over the summer in our town. When we started, I think there was maybe one or two. So I think sometimes when you begin to pray and you begin to move, you set, you set a pace with something. Other people then either feel the need to catch up, which is great too, or, 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 they be, or everybody begins to lift their game and they begin to see new vision and dream new things. So uh, that was really good. But, so we changed a little bit of a tact. Um, maybe some of you noticed in the Antrim Guardian two weeks ago that they had some of the problems that we have down at the, where we used to be at 15D. And that street hasn't been cleaned since we were in it. It's graffitied and everyone, we took a, a team this week, we went down in there and we totally transformed it. And I'm gonna let you in a little bit of a secret where we've actually got umbrellas and lights and we're gonna turn it into a little bit of, you know the Duke of York Street in, in Belfast? So we're gonna turn 15D into that. And I don't know whether it'll make it or not, but we're gonna pray that it will. So uh, we've got some stuff ordered in and uh, you know, we, we got given a little bit of funding for that. So uh, we just wanna make a bit of difference and I thought that. We're also gonna put up a couple of murals. Antrim doesn't have any murals, so you can all have butterfly wings or angel wings next week, okay? And uh, so you can go down there and get your photograph taken and all of that. So we're hoping to bring a wee bit of culture to Antrim because many of you know Antrim needs some culture. Yeah, okay, good, all right, good, yep, yep. So uh, it's funny, you know, when you start off, and, and you know, I, it's kind of hard to explain this, but when you pray for prosperity in a town and you get a bunch of people who believe in changing it and praying, and for two and a half years, every Friday for two hours, I went to the Barbican Gate and walked the walls and prayed. And uh, my prayers on that, and I'm, I'm not saying it's just down to me, but I, I got to believe that somewhere along the way that my prayers were heard. And we used to put little yellow post-it notes into the stones and the walls. And you don't know this story, but when we were about to start our church in Antrim, uh, Asman and Ian Somerville and I went to the Market Square to pray. And, and we were going to the elders to ask, could we plant this church? And the next morning after the prayer meeting, the 37 meters of the wall that had stood for 700 years had fallen into Market Square. And uh, Asman messaged me at 8.30 in the morning. Uh, I, I, in fact, I might have messaged him, got him out of bed. I was like, have you seen what just happened? That day we were praying for the walls to come down. And we didn't know that God was gonna take physical walls down, but we knew he was gonna take spiritual walls down. So, uh, you know, we, we, we're, we're, yeah, we, 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 we that, I mean, I think that was a pretty big sign for us, the local mayor was on going, this wall stood for 700 years. It was surveyed last year. We don't know why it fell down. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's funny, it's funny how, how the Lord moves sometimes. And I, I just really want to prophesy that. If there's walls in your life that need to collapse, that have been there for generations, you know, you can take them down today. You don't need to wait. Start praying, God, take these walls down from around us and, and watch what God does. And, and uh, you know, if he can take a 700-year-old wall down, I was there the last day that the machine put the capstone back on as they rebuild it. And uh, I was like going, no, no, there's something in that too. So let's just pray for God, bringing regeneration and prosperity to our town. That's our, that's our heart, that's our plan, and we want to continue to do that. So thanks for everybody who got involved in that. Uh, the only other announcement that I have, pretty big one, uh, we got our Kingdom Come conference happening in just less than two weeks now. Um, hands up if you got your ticket for that. More importantly, hands up if you haven't got your ticket for that. Uh, it was pay, it's payday this weekend, okay? So come on, get it sorted. Um, uh, you know, we, we, are taking, we are taking a chance in doing this. It's a big commitment. Um, and I'm, we're going on prophetic. I, I was a little bit worried about the ticket sales earlier on this week. 
And in the morning, I got, I got text message from Ian Watt, who didn't know, well, he may or not, but he, he, anyway, he messaged me, he says, Father says tickets are going to be okay. I thought, that'll do. Uh, by lunchtime, somebody else said, John, you're not to worry about the tickets, it's going to be good. And Richard Bell, who's a former friend of us, some of you know Richard, Richard was driving through Antrim, haven't heard from him in months. He was driving through Antrim at four o'clock, he phoned me up, he said, John, I'm driving through Antrim, I just had an over, overwhelming conviction to, 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 to pray and to call you and say, everything's going to be okay. I was like, I'll take that. So, so that's where we're at. But I, the, the, the reason why this is so important is because I, you know, I really believe that God is going to start something in a healing revival. I've had so many words for two years about this that, that, that we're going to see breakthrough. And, and honestly, the teams that are coming in are outstanding. The, 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 the people that are coming in to commit to this and to pray for us. And I wa- we want you to come to it, but we also want you to receive. One of the reasons why I'm bringing a team in this year is because usually when we do this, we're all serving. But we serve a lot. And I, I don't want you to serve in this one. I want you to go and just receive and get it. So we've got 53 total people coming in next week. And uh, now, if you're around and you can build a big top tent next Tuesday, Shane's Castle, 9 a.m., we'll see you there. So we may need some help with that. If you're around and you've got your handy with a tool or whatever, you can down and give us a hand. But for the conference, we want you to go and be participants. So please, buy your ticket. If you can't come for the whole weekend, um, you know, and if you're, listen to me, if you're stuck financially and it's a problem, please come and see us. This isn't what this is about. We want you to be blessed. We want you to receive the Lord's anointing. And the people that are coming in carry the presence of Jesus so well. We've got Upper Room coming in. I met those guys just in February. Really good guys. Aaron Smith who's a young Alice pastor, is one of the best communicators I've heard in a very long time. The guy's only 26. He is phenomenally anointed. Uh, is, you know, the, the, uh, we've got Corey Miller coming in from Red Rocks Worship. He, he's one of their, their key guys. He's actually going out with one of the girls from Upper Room. So, you know, there's a, there's a merging there going on. And then we've got the Bethel Music guys coming in. with a whole Bethel uh, music team coming in. Uh, so we've got Christine and Emmy Rose. And just to let you know, next Sunday morning, shh, okay? Jordan and Christine are going to be leading worship here, so, so, uh, so, so you, you, you'll, you'll, you'll get a little bit of that, a little bit of taster for that early on. Um, but uh, huh? Jordan sings. Well, he does sing, sings. Yeah, if you can get him through the end of a service. But anyway, if you haven't been around these guys, you know, I mean, Bethel's taken a, a lot of rap over the years, but honestly, it's not my experience. The people out there are incredibly gifted, incredibly anointed, and the. Uh, incredibly powerful in what the Lord will see. So go get your tickets, that's Kingdom Come. And uh, just that, our offering, um, if you're regular here, uh, please uh, sign up, Tithes and Offerings. Um, you can do that online. Uh, you can do that uh, through our Church Suite app. There's a little QR code as well, should appear there if you get your photograph out. Some stickers in the back of the window, please give if you do that. If you're a visitor here, no, no, feel no pressure. But at the offering baskets will get passed around now that COVID is apparently gone and uh, never heard of anymore. So we'll pass those offering baskets around. And, uh, and then I'm, I'm going to share with you a little bit of what I'm going to preach today. Um, if you've got your Bibles with you, why don't you turn with me? It should appear on the screen, but why don't you turn with me to Jonah chapter 3. Uh, Jonah chapter 3. All of you know of Jonah and the whale. Who learned it at Sunday school? Who knows, who knows it, Jonah, got inside the belly of a whale? No. Nope. If you haven't, you need to go read your Bibles, okay? So remember, the Bible is the word of the Lord. You're meant to read it and study it. So, you know, make an effort to do that. Um, so uh, I, I, was, uh, I was conscious. I, I was 
I, I was service leading today, but I wasn't meant to be preaching. Jeff was meant to be preaching, and then his flights, he had to go back early, so I was up at 5.30 this morning to take those guys to the airport. Uh, a big thank you to the Davison's family. They, they continue to bless us as, as they come along. Um, and then Richard Porter was supposed to be on this morning as well. So we give it to Richard, and then Richard's mother, he had to return to the States as well. So it's like, okay. So I had to pull a sermon out of the, out of the old sermon archives. So some of you might have heard this one before, but I think it's a good one. All right, so we'll, we'll, we'll see how we go with that one. But there's a lot of visitors here, and you, you'll not have heard it for the first time. But um, uh, I want to talk this morning about revival in our time. Revival in our time. And, uh, um, you know, th- this, this Bible passage is the story of one of the largest spiritual awakenings in human history. And it's a story of a revival in one of the most wicked cities uh, in the entire earth at the time, Nineveh. And uh, Nineveh was really wicked. In fact, historians outside of Scripture will tell you just how terrible Nineveh was historically. Um, and yet, for some weird reason, unlike S- Sodom and Gomorrah, God didn't destroy it the same way he destroyed that. And this is sometimes when you try to get into the heart of God to figure things out, you just go, now that's a mystery. And how many of you know God's a mystery? And if we ever lose the mystery of God, we lose something about who God is. Remember, sometimes we're not meant to know everything. Sometimes God keeps things a mystery to bless us. Why? Because it keeps us hungry. It keeps us in who he is. So remember that, that God's mysterious. And in chapter one, uh, we read about the wickedness that has come before them. And uh, the wickedness had, had, had got to the highest places in heaven. That's what the Bible says, that it had come before God. And the Ninevites had, were legendary for their cruelty. And you can read historical accounts all over the place of the Assyrians. They were just terrible people. In fact, what they would do is when they were coming in to take another city, the, the way that they, they didn't murder, they didn't kill the, 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 the men. What they did was, excuse me, they skinned them alive and buried them to their neck in the sand. They did that for men, women, and children. And historically, there's sites where you go to where, where that took place. And uh, the, 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 the and Nineveh, the Syrians, were the superpower of the world today. And in many ways, they were, they were over the world. They had the best chariots, the best food. They had an amazing commercial system. And uh, that lasted for about 200 years. And then all of a sudden, there's this new kid comes on the block. Okay, so, the, so Babylon starts to get a little bit par, and, and the Babylonians were beginning to rise in par, and the Assyrians' days were numbered. There was an end of an era due. And uh, I wonder if you ever looked at the state of the world today and, and noticed that how the world's shifting. It, it seems like it used to take two or 300 years for the world to shift, and in today's world, it only takes a few months for the world to shift. You know, we had incredible peacetimes for the best part of what, uh, 60, 70, 80 years. And then all of a sudden now Europe's finding itself back at war again. And it's amazing how things shift and how the depravity of people can end up taking us down a road that nobody ever wants to go to for whatever reason it happens. But uh, what I've discovered is that, that, that many of you know that the UK and Ireland need another spiritual awakening. And it's this thing where I think there's more going on in the church world than maybe we know sometimes. And I do think God is moving. I think people are pursuing the kingdom of heaven. But I do think we're due a, a supernatural move where in, in the days of revival where, where God would move up a street and people on one side, there's a story in Antrim where the people on one side of the street all get filled with the spirit on a Saturday night and the, the, the houses on the other side of the street, no, nobody got touched by it. And there's historical stories of God's power to move. And I believe he's going to move again. But I want to, I want to start by setting the tone by, by these verses in Jonah. Uh, here we have Jonah. Um, uh, the first couple of chapters, you see he's revived by God. And God puts him in a correction plan. God had called him. He didn't want to do it. He avoided going to the place that God had called him to. Anybody ever avoid that? 
sometimes that seemed like a good idea. But when you avoid what God has called you to do, you can run away from it. But if God's got you marked, you're in trouble. And God, God had to use something incredibly supernatural to get, him, get his attention. So what did he do? Well, he swallowed him up in the belly of a big whale and took him to Nineveh and spat him out on the side of the shore. And God recommissioned him. And today I want to talk a little bit about where revival starts. Revival starts in you and me. And it starts from a heart attitude. Nothing can happen through me until it first happens in me. Let me tell you something. You can't revive anybody else until revival's in your own heart. And the work that God does, does in you is always greater than the work that God does through you. It's important that you remember that. God sometimes has to do a work in you before he uses you. That's our story. What we find our anointing climbing, we find the presence crying when we deal with our own stuff. And many of you know that that's a big heartbeat of our church is to help you restore the inner world. Why? So that you can help other people know who Jesus is and get revived in your own heart. And there's something about stability that God wants to bring, but stability should never stop us from pushing and pursuing. Can I just say this? No matter how much counseling you've had or how much presence of God you had, he ain't finished with you yet. And he's still got a bigger work to do in you. And the work that he does in you is always greater than the work that he does through you. And God had this plan for Jonah. And he's working in order to bring, um, you know, God's will. And he gets into this fish and all of a sudden he's barfed out on a beach. And he's now face to face with Nineveh. The most awful, God forsaken city in the planet at the time. Put yourself in his shoes for a moment. You spent three days in the belly of a whale. You can only imagine what's over you. How, how you smell. And you arrive on a beach and God says, go bring revival to this city. And by the way, you might lose your head. Get yourself skinned and get buried in the sand. You see, this is sometimes how God works and we miss it. Let's pick up chapter, chapter three, uh, one to, uh, four to 10. Uh, on the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds. I love this. You know, this crazy man walks into this and yet he grabs her attention. 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. What would happen to any of us when down in Adam Main Street? Adam's going to get destroyed in 40 days. Somebody's going to hit you over the head with a baseball bat, tell you to wise up. Or you go to Belfast, you'll get hung, drawn, and quartered just in, this, in, in Corn Market. And you see, this is, but this is what he did. And he said this, and yet the people of Nineveh believed God's message. You see, God had set these people up. Why? Because I've discovered that when a city is deprived when there's social and economical desolation, people don't like it. I've never met a happy drunk, except when they're drunk. I've never met a happy drug taker, even a dealer. I've never met anybody that's happy, except when they're high, because the next day, they realize the depravity of their lives. And we live in a world where there's so much decay and destruction and evilness that we either remove ourselves from it or we pretend that it's not there. And, sorry, and God comes along and he gives this message to these people. The people of Nineveh believe God's message and from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put the burlap uh, to show their sorrow. The king of Nineveh heard that Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in sackcloth and sat in a heap of ashes. Then the king and his nobles sent the decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals, the herds, or the flocks may eat or drink anything at all. The people and animals alike must wear garments of mourning and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must take, uh, they must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who, who can tell? Perhaps 
even yet, God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. You see, these people know the story of Nineveh, or sorry, from Sodom and Gomorrah. They know the story of how God functions. And when God saw what what had been done, um, they put a stop to their evil ways, and he changed his mind, and they did not carry out the destruction that he had threatened. Now, we know God doesn't change. So how can God change his mind? It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because what was God's plan always? Who, who Who was wrestling with this? This wasn't God. God didn't need to change his mind. There was something going on in the heart of a man called Jonah that was wrestling with this. Are we in, are we out? And he was called by God to move in the most incredible way. And what happens is we find that God delivers these people that were due a judgment and they were set free. And you need to understand that every time God destroyed a city or a people in the Old Testament was always a picture of Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross. Um, If you ever get a chance, um, there's a book called The Crimson Thread. It is one of the most mind-boggling books because you see this crimson blood thread all the way through the Old Testament right up to what Jesus did on the cross. And it's the story of a redemptive God. Many of you know the Israelites had the hokey-cokey. You know, first they were in, then they were out. 70 years later, they were back in. 70 years later, they were back out. And they did the hokey-cokey. And what it was God? It's a picture of God redeeming his people. Why? Because we continually failed. And then one man comes along and changes everything for us all. That's Jesus. And the picture of this is Jesus. I want to make a couple of points today. No one is beyond the reach of God. No town, no city, no people group. No one is eternally lost yet. There is no people group that God's finished with. And, the, and the, the problem with our world today, we need new head mics. The problem with our world today is that we write people off all the time. Think about it. Who have you wrote off? Some of you wrote off your husband. Some of you should write off your husband. No, I'm joking. Some of you wrote off your wife, your kids, your family. You, you, you write, we write them off all the time. And yet, what are you not doing? Well, Let's fast and pray and take off our old robes and sit in sackcloth and ash. Anybody joining me? Sackcloth and ash for as long as it takes. You see, what do we want to do? Well, we dismiss it and we wipe away. And God starts in the heart of revival. See, it doesn't matter how wicked you are. And I can tell you, I hang out with some wicked people and they just go to our church. It's great. Hanging out with wicked people is fantastic. You know why? because it shows you your wickedness. And and we've lost the art of understanding that there is a heaven to be earned and a hell to be shunned. And nobody's preaching hell anymore. And I think sometimes that's a wise thing because for 40 years in our country, that's all we knew, hanging them over hell for 45 minutes. I know brethren people who for 30 years were hung over hell every Sunday and they were saved for 40 years. Nobody's telling them what you do next. But you see, there is a lost world that you can't talk to about hell anymore because they don't believe it. But I can tell you what you can talk about. The state of their heart. How depressed they are. How miserable they are. How, how much anxiety. You know, anxiety is through the roof today. The kids are so anxious. Why? Well, because the parents have taught them how to be anxious. You're anxious. Who taught us? Our parents. And we, have a, we don't have a kid problem. We have a parent problem. 
And you, you, you learn how to parent well. You have good kids. If you don't know how to parent well, what happens is you have a knock on effect. And God is in the business of doing what? Reviving families. I've watched it. There's people, families in this church that have been revived by the power of God, completely set free, turned around, and God totally transformed. My family's one of them. And I watch it day after day where God doesn't give up on people at no point. And it doesn't matter how big a sinner you are, capital S, how wicked you are, whatever your wildest dreams is, the Bible says all. Not just some, all. And what are we to do? I don't want to hang around with those people. And if you were here two weeks ago, you'd have heard me giving you a really hard time about evangelism. I'm just reminding you of that, okay? If you're not sharing your faith, you're not a follower of Christ. Let me, let me say that again. If you're not sharing your faith, you're not a follower of Christ. I, don't take it up with me, take it up with Jesus. Because that's what he says. So hopefully you're, I know at least two or three people took me serious in that because I've been sending a message of how they've been sharing their faith. Now listen to me, don't turn into crazy people. You know those crazy Christians? Don't, don't become them, all right? They're just weird. But share your faith well. Show them that you're sensible and stable. Stay away from spiritual hyperbole. But talk about the power of the cross and how much it's changed your life. I guarantee you talk about Jesus, people will, will listen. Why? Because there's something in the illumination of Jesus that people are interested in. Talk about the miracle in your own life. Talk about what Jesus has done. Talk about how, how God's revived your own heart. I heard a story this week of somebody who'd given their lives to the Lord lately and uh, how they couldn't believe that God would just change them this way. It, it, there's a right world out there. I talk to them every day. And you realize, it's kind of like, I used to make a big deal about leading people to Jesus. Now I'm kind of doing it every few days. It's just become the norm. And I haven't lost the mystery of it all, but it's like a lifestyle choice now. How you lead someone. I was at, I was at, at a wedding Claire's wedding a couple of weeks ago, I had a conversation with somebody and I'm like, hey, you're a Christian. Ah, I gave my life to the Lord 30 years ago. She'll probably get back. Like, we're about to head out the door. I get a tap on the shoulder. John, can I talk to you? Sure. How do I get back to you? Oh, just pray this prayer. Send him home to pray the prayer. And it's not about praying a prayer, but it's about revival in the heart. And God wants to take us and change us. And, um, um, you know, um, a young pastor came to the legendary preacher Charles Spurgeon one time. Um, in a, a time you know, at the time he had a mega church, Charles Spurgeon's church was five and a half thousand members. And the young pastor asked, um, uh, why is it that when, when he preaches, Jesus comes and people get saved? Uh, he was asking the question, but when I preach, no one gets saved. And the young man said, you know, he, he said to him this, Spurgeon asked, do you believe that every time you preach, someone will get saved? The young man said, of course not. Spurgeon turned to him and said, well, there's your problem. Of course not. You went in planning for failure. Eddie Cook and I went to uh, went to Holy Lands a few years back to Israel, and uh, we we were feeling full of courage. We'd get up that morning. It was amazing. We're on the Sea of Galilee. We're we're out in a boat, and it's the same boat that Hillsong record oceans, and they're playing oceans. It was half seven in the morning. The sun. It was one of the most anointed moments in my life. I never forget as long as I live. And we're back up. We're up in Capernaum. We're on the side of the mountain where where Jesus uh, gave the Beatitudes. And Eddie and I said, right, let's go for this. We're, we're going after revival, and we're going to walk on water. Let's go. So we walked down to the Sea of Galilee, and we went down in, and we stood and looked at each other and said, should we take our shoes off? <laughs> we, we, see, we were beat before we started. I said, we're just going to get wet now, Eddie, aren't we? We had to go at it, and we got wet. But sometimes we're beat before we start. No, God can't do that. He, he, he'll not use me to heal anybody. And, 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 and sometimes we set ourselves up for, you know, Spurgeon had people that, you know, have you ever, ever listened to McConnell back in the day in, in, in Whitewell? The Lord told him he would have seven people saved every day. 
And he did not end the service until he got seven hands. I'm sure there was people in that congregation who just needed to get home, got saved a thousand times. <laughs> Hendy's not here this morning, but Hendy was saved about 40 times before he actually got saved. Manifest responses, yes, me again. Are you back again, Hendy? Great, let's pray for you. And sometimes that's what it takes. But yeah, what do we do? We start from a bad perspective. We've got to start from a great perspective. Um, we need to attempt great things for God and expect great things from God. Let me say, let, let, let me say this to you. If, if, if God's going to use you to bring a spiritual awakening to Ireland, then you've got to change a mindset to understand that God's going to use you to bring awakening to Ireland. But you don't believe that. You're looking up there going, John Ash will do it. You're sorely wrong. You do it. You, 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 you start. I will scream and shout and holler at you. And I will champion you from behind. But the fire of God needs to burn in your belly, not just mine. And if you've lost the fire of God in your belly, you need to get to the conference in two weeks' time with people who I know have the fire of belly in their belly. Or some people in here that if you want a fire in your belly, come and get Catherine to pray for you. Can we get Ashley to pray? You get some of the people who got a fire in their belly to pray for you. You know, where's Elisa? She's not here this morning. You want the fire in your, you go, you go pray for her. You go get her to pray for you. If you don't have the fire in your belly, you've, you've lost out. It starts with you. How hungry are you really? Because revival only comes when you get really hungry. Um, the, the, we've had three massive revivals in the island of Ireland over the years. And God has moved in three great awakenings. There's been many more, but there's been three massive ones. The first one was the Celtic revival of St. Patrick. 120,000 Irish people got saved and 300 churches were planted. And the name Patrick is closely associated with the Christianization of Ireland. But the Christianization of Ireland actually had, had, had started before that. But what happened was Ireland had come in to a society where deeply mired in superstition. Tell me we don't have a world that's mired in superstition today that are looking for spiritual something and no idea where to land. We speak to them that. And many attempts to spread the gospel in Ireland, early years, and from the second century up into Ireland came, were, 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 were failed. But, but Patrick planted Christianity in the hearts of people. And the accounts of Patrick's ministry in the Irish were, were unfortunately so consistently factual aware that actually there's been several historians recorded the miracles of Patrick. He's accredited to 700 miracles that were actually written down historically and recorded. Do you think when Patrick came here as a young boy, as a slave, didn't have to go through an awakening sitting up on the side of Slemish, praying to God while he looked after a sheep, going, I'm away from my family, but God put something in his heart. Why? Well, because he spent days with the Lord on the side of Slemish looking after sheep. Some, day, some days that just sounds like a good idea. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I want to get away from the sheep. Oh, yeah, that was lost on you. You see, Patrick had this incredible, dramatic example of how God moved through him. And you don't need to be Patrick, but you need to have his fire. And if you can grab hold of something that Patrick had, I promise you, you will see miracles. What made Patrick different to you and I? I'm going to suspect dreams and prayer life and a hunger to see a nation transformed. And during he spent seven, seven years in slavery and God planted the heart for the people of Ireland. And the next great awakening happened a few hundred years later. And it happened in, it's called the Six Mile River Revival, the Six Mile Water Revival. Anybody know where the Six Mile Water is? 
that some of us live on it longer than the rest of us. And in 1620 through 1632, a revival lasted for 12 years that saw an incredible move of God through the whole of South Antrim, which traveled around the world. A minister called James Glendenning and four other ministers met at Antrim Castle for four years prior to the revival happening. The details of a revival are so complex that I can't go into the details today to give you more. But what you saw was this incredible thing happened. A man called Robert Blair... Josiah Welsh and John Livingstone. Blair was a, Scot a Scottish guy who had heard what was happening in Ireland and God had put a call in his life and he came and he met with these ministers and they met to pray in the upper room of Antrim Castle. And what happened was, as they began to pray, he was unwillingly called to Ireland and God put him here. And he was a Scotsman that loved his home, but God put it here. He had a Jonah experience. And James Glendenning visited Robert Blair and they began to pray in the parish of Carrick. And Blair sent... This guy who was failing in Carrick Fergus, he, he commissioned him and sent him to the old stone hill. It was an old tin shed. It knocked down a few years back, which I was sad to see it go. There's a house on that site right now. But I spent many years there praying. And he began to preach in the old stone mission hall. And these are the accounts of what happened. In one night, this is an account of a meeting, multitudes became convicted of their sin through his teaching, with a dozen uh, in one day being carried out as dead. Now, what I mean by that, they were so bowled over, and you see this through the history of revival, that the Spirit of God bowled them over and put them on their backs and put them into dreams. And the account is that 12 on one night were carried out. Many of them lay on the floor until three days later, under the conviction of their sin, sobbing for mercy and asking for more of Jesus. And it had its critics. In the midst of the revival, there was this usual persecution. Attacks came from the the Anglican Church, Catholic Friars, Baptists, and Arminians. It was that Blair went out forth to defend the revival, and he always won his argument. Despite what arose against him, the people had a problem with the manifestations during the, 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 the service, especially in Ballycarry. Most of the ministers were against the manifestations, wanting to conduct the service in an orderly manner. Sound familiar, Northern Ireland people? See, we love our orderly manners. Do it all right. Keep, her, keep ourselves to ourselves. You know, we, we, we get held back. And, and they, were trying to, they were trying to reorder revival. Can I tell you, you can't reorder revival when God chooses to move. And if he bowls you over like forest trees and puts you on the back, and I've spent days on my back sometimes when I didn't want to, God did something so deeply profound when I was down there. Dreams and visions way back when I was a, a younger Christian that God profoundly changed my life. I, I long for the days again. And yet, what is it that's stopping it? Can I, can I put it to you and say that it's your unbelief? And here's the problem. You think you have belief. And that is the problem. We've been lulled into a false sense of security when it comes to real belief. Because you say, I believe God can heal. And then instantly, it's like me and Eddie wear shoes. Nah, he's not going to do that. We, 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 we instantly doubt. And I've just discovered that something happens that faith rises when we go after this. And, and, and you, you see this whole account of the Spirit coming and, and, and the opposers to revival. This led to the largest awakening, uh, awakening in, in the UK history. 450,000 people over a 12-year period became a Christian. Do you know what birthed here in the Six Mile Valley? Right here on our own doorstep, the Presbyterian Church. And for the next 100 years, Presbyterian churches were planted all over Ireland and all over Scotland. 
that revival saw that church. And here's the problem. By the seventh generation, it just became stone buildings. See, revival doesn't transfer to the next generation very well. And Bill Johnson made it his life ambition to make sure that, that revival continued down to the next generation. I, I have it in me to say, hey, there's something about a revival coming that God says it will live in the hearts of men forever till his return. That's what I believe the Bible uh, is, is calling us to be. Um, and the third revival that took place was 1859, the Ulster Awakening. Um, and uh, it's funny how it started in the same area. World famous name uh, associated with revival. There was no, there's none of them. We didn't have these, these ministers coming in. What we had was we had three farmers and a teacher from Kells just around the road. And uh, a few humble people began together and they started to pray in a schoolhouse in Kells. And at the time they were just employed. One was an industrialist, one was a, a, a caretaker of a school, uh, and the other one was a teacher. Uh, and and there's, a, there's a lady called Miss Colville who was a lady who, who was having a conversation with one of the, these young men about predestination. How many of you have had a conversation about predestination over the years? Anybody ever get any answers? When you figure it out, come and tell me, because I have no clue. It's called the mystery of God. All right? It's kind of how it works sometimes. And we, anyway, they were having a theological debate, as you do. And, um, um, but something happened that day when Miss Coville, who was having this, this conversation, uh, corrected the young man, he says, he says, your problem is you don't know Jesus. And whatever happened in that lady's words that day to that man, the fire of God hit him. And he gave his life to the Lord, and something happened. He was a man called um, James McCulkin, and he was smitten to become what he said was a professional Christian. The truth was applied, and two weeks later, he had no peace day and night. The Lord woke him up consistently to pray for the area. And God began to work with him. And he got a couple of friends, a man called Jeremiah McNeely, another guy called John Wallace, another guy called Robert Carlyle. And the four of them commenced in the, in the schoolhouse at Kells um, uh, to meet in fellowship. And McCulkin began to study the Bible and we began to preach. And they began to work in the local community. And then they invited in a man called John, John Mueller in 1958 where, where they had these conversations. And steadily converts began to come. The first convert to the revival was a man called uh, J.H. Moore, who was the minister of Presbyterian Church in Connor. The man declared when he came to these prayer meetings that he wasn't a Christian, even though he's a Presbyterian minister, which is interesting when you read the historical archives. And he gave his life to the Lord, and he began to preach in Connor. And that morning on the Sunday, 78 people in the congregation gave their lives to the Lord and fell over at the front of a Presbyterian church. And God began to work this revival and it began to spread. And as it takes its, takes its place, God began to work, so much so that it was reported to the General Assembly and the Presbyterian Church, who dismissed it outright, giving the fact that they had the same problem seven generations ago. They're now struggling against it. How many of you know that the church can stop a, a revival taking place? Because we get so stuck in what we think was the interest from yesteryear that we don't learn to live in the interest from today. Let me say that. Some of you and I did this for years, we look back to Toronto Blessing or the Jesus Movement. Oh, if only about those days back where we shook and cried. I Hear me. I think God's got interest for today. Let's not live off the manna of yesteryears and the memory. Let's live off what God has for us today. I believe he wants to pour out revival. In fact, I'm, I'm convinced of it. And you see this incredible move of God. Can I tell you, this, this, this changed Cool rain, particularly a hockle, Ballymena. In cool rain, for four and a half years, there was no pubs, there was no court, there was no judge, 
And the policeman that was there was totally out of work. Four and a half years. Historical. When revival came, nobody wanted to drink. Nobody did crime. It changed an entire city. It changed the people group. Palomino was the same. It spread around the world. A Susan Street revival came on the back in 1909, on the back of what happened in the 58 revival here. And you see God historically moving here. And, 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 and then there's the, the something takes place. Can I tell you, I believe, I am absolutely convinced of this, that God does things in threes. He's a Trinity God. He does things in threes. And we've seen two revivals that took place in Antrim. Can I tell you, I am convinced, convinced that in our lifetime, in my lifetime, we'll see a revival come out of Antrim one more time. I, 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 God's reviving Antrim right now. I, I, desolation in this place for years. And you start to see business coming back. You start to see prosperity coming. I mean, I always said it, Margot May. I mean, to have a pink fluffy shop <laughs> serving pink fluffy coffees in the town of Antrim. I mean, it's nearly too trendy for Antrim. You know what I'm saying? Joshua's like, yeah, I agree. <laughs> and yeah, what is God? Why? Well, because he's bringing revival to the, to the area. Yeah. My dad worked in the Ankelon. Closed 1982, largest Margaret Thatcher changed manufacturing rules, and it was the largest breakdown. Antrim was built on, that, on, on the linen uh, history. You see all the mills around here. I live in one. Catherine lives in one. You know, the, the old mills were here, and they, they had the linen and then it came nylon and the, the British Anglon. It was the largest employer in Northern Ireland at the time and overnight it closed. And the desolation that took place in this town, I saw men, I watched my own father go depressed because they couldn't get a day's work and they wanted to feed their family and children. And we never recovered from that. But slowly but surely, as we pray, we see recovery. And God told me this a long time ago, first I will heal your land and then I'll heal your people. And God's healing our land and now he's going to start healing our people. And guess who are the healers? You carry the heart of Jesus. And with this, I'm going to finish up because I want to pray for revival in your heart this morning. Come on back. Um, uh, there was a revival that has marked me, even though I wasn't really involved with it. 1971, uh, a man called Lonnie Fisby. Any heard of Lonnie? Who, where's the vineyard people? A few vineyard people, all right? And, uh, <laughs> and uh, he... He, he was called the preaching hippie. And in California, there was a whole bunch of surfers. And you know what they did all day? They went surfing and got high on LSD. All right? That was kind of their lives. Sometimes I think that's attractive, but probably not. <laughs> and this group of people, because of this one man, invited a whole bunch of people up in to become, to become Christians. And in a moment of an experience on an LSD trip, he met Jesus, and he never took LSD from that day to this. And the man would stand up and pray, and this is what he'd pray, come Holy Spirit. And waves of these surfers would fall over. And this went on for months and months and months. And they started to go to the local church, but guess what happened? The local church didn't want them. There were a bunch of weird hippies that were a bit odd and taking LSD. And they thought that they were having this revival in their hearts. They thought it was because of the drugs, and it wasn't. And the Jesus movement was birthed. It led a man called John Wimber to, to the Lord through it. Benny Johnson, Bill's wife, had passed away a few weeks ago, became the Lord through the Jesus movement. 
the hippie movement, in the middle of drug taking, in the most deprived area, God came and he moved in a people and now the churches that we are benefiting from resulted in that. Let's not be churches that don't bring revival through to the next generation. Let's not criticize a revival before because it doesn't look like what we think it should look like. God is in the business that sometimes it just requires a come Holy Spirit moment. And, I, and today, I just have that in me. I want to pray. We're, we're going to clear two rows of chairs back. All right? That, that's where I'm at on my faith this morning. All right? And we're going to pray for the infilling of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to pray that God would move powerfully in your life and that, that if you need a fresh touch of God, that you're going to get it this morning. And, and I'm believing, I'm believing for the power of God to move. And when he moves like this, don't be, don't be scared. See you visitors, you're welcome. Participate if you want, don't if you want. But maybe you need to come to the front. Can I say, I know we've got friends from, from other churches here today and things haven't been great from where your other church is. Can I say, if we can bless you this morning just by praying for you to receive the Holy Spirit, we, we would really love to pray for you this morning. I'm, I'm going to pray from the front. I, I just I feel like, like at the moment that's what I want to do. So I'm going to pray for our ministry team first. I, and I want you to come. Please come. You want prayer? Get to the front. Come on. Nobody wants revival. Everybody's scared. Come on. I remember the first time I went forward. It was at a manifest in 1989. And I ran forward to the front of the Ulster Hall, scared out of my wits, not wondering what was going to happen. And the Spirit of God hit me like that. It took me two more years to meet him properly. But I want to pray for the Spirit of God for revival this morning. And if you're afraid or you, or you want this, please come hungry. Come get it. Come on. Now, there's, there's another group of people sitting out here right now. And your heart's beating like crazy. Yeah, that's you, talking to you. And your heart's beating right now and you're going, I, 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 can't, I can't do this. Well, I'm talking to you this morning. If your heart's beating like crazy and you want, you get up here. Come on. Come on, I'm gonna put out your hands. I wanna pray. I, I really believe the Holy Spirit's gonna move this morning. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, today I release the fire of heaven into these bellies, Lord. Father, you give them eyes to see, ears to hear. Lord, from the tips of their toes to the tops of their head, Holy Spirit, would you come right now and fill them afresh. Lord, burst the bubble in their bellies that streams of living water would flow from them in them. Father, pour out your fire this morning, God. Come and touch hearts that haven't known you or felt you in years. Jesus' name, pour out your spirit.